um, I'm reading from Haggai 1 this morning. And for those of you uh, who have actually uh, read the first chapter, there are a couple of tricky names in it, so bear with me, please. A call to build the house of the Lord. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jezodak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Joseph, Josadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. This is the word of the Lord.
So please keep the passage open in front of you. Um, page 948. Uh, easy to miss Haggai as you go through the Old Testament, isn't it? And if you're not sure where it is ever, just look up in the contents page. It's not more godly to know exactly where it is beforehand. You are allowed to use the contents page. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, please teach us as we look at your word, as we come to this chapter in Haggai, please, with these words spoken to your people uh, so many hundred years ago, Father, please would you uh, teach us through them and help us to be ready to listen and respond. Amen. There are different stages in life. We all know this. There are different stages. There's childhood, adolescence, teenage years. There's uh, adulthood. You've got different parts of life, different times where maybe you're at school or uh, you're at work or maybe you're retired. Um, there, there are different times. Maybe for some it's, uh, there's possibility of having a family, uh, for others not. Maybe for some it's a time for being grandparents and focusing on that. And with each stage and each different way that our lives go, at each different stage there can be different priorities, can't there? Different things where we say, it's now time for this. Something I've got to focus on. The book of Haggai begins with a challenge to God's people in 520 BC, asking them, what is it time for? And that is a good challenge for us too. What is it time for? And that's our first point. And you can follow through the points on the back of the notice sheet if you'd like to. Haggai brings the word of the Lord to the people. Verse 2. This is how he begins. It is a huge challenge. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say... The time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Now, remember what I said in the introduction. Uh, the temple has been destroyed. They've come back to the land. They've been told to rebuild the temple. God told them to rebuild the temple. And they started, but they gave up. They stopped. And it's been years since then. And God is saying to them, I know what you're saying. I know you're saying it's not time to rebuild the temple. Notice that they recognise they have a duty to rebuild the temple. They say, say, yes, we we do need to do it. But the issue is, now is not the time. Yeah, yeah, it should be on our to-do list. It's on our to-do list, but we keep shifting it from day to day. It's one of those jobs, which just gets shifted from day to day to day. It's just always on there, but it's never quite the right time to do it. And the next question is a stinger, isn't it? Verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? The temple is in ruins, but as the Lord looks at their houses, they're looking pretty good. They seem to have got these fancy panels on their houses, which seem to be all the rage in those days. So isn't it time, the Lord says, to be building the temple? You seem to be saying, well, conveniently, it isn't the right time to build the Lord's temple, but it is time for me to build my house. Wouldn't that have been uncomfortable for God's people then? And of course, the passage makes us ask an uncomfortable question too, isn't it? What is it time for in our lives? 
No, the issue for us is not rebuilding the temple. Thankfully, we don't need to all get on planes and go to Jerusalem. Uh, it would be very difficult to do, to go and try and rebuild the temple. No, the Lord, that's not the Lord's call for us. But the issue is the Lord himself. Not are we neglecting the temple, but are we neglecting the God of the temple, the Lord? Because we might well say, now is not the time for me to prioritise God. Now is not the time for me to put time and money and effort into him. And one of the New Testament parallels for the temple actually is the church, not the church building, but the people of the church. And so we might say, well, now is just not the time for me to put time into God's people. I I just can't make church a priority at the moment. No, it's not time for that. But the Lord might well ask us, so what is it time for in your life at the moment? What is it time for in my life? What do you invest in? Because we all do. Every day we invest our time, money, energy into something. So what is it? And it's easy to say, now's the time for family. Now's the time for career. Now's the time to save for a house. For plenty of people, the answer is an unashamed, now is my time for me. Isn't that the message of the M&S Christmas advert? It had to come up at some point in a sermon. Uh, I'm sure it will come up more times, as probably will the John Lewis one. They have to come up at some point in sermons. But the M&S advert, that line at the end about do only, this Christmas, do only what you love. That's the temptation for us, isn't it? Actually, to do only what I love. Now is the time for me. In lots of ways, we might say to the Lord, now is not the right time for you, for me to commit time to you, for me to obey you. Those interested in the Christian faith, maybe that's you, maybe you say, yeah, I'm I'm intrigued by Christianity, I want to explore it. But yet it can be easy for you to say, but now's not the right time. I'd be surprised if we don't have some this Christmas who come to our services and and are interested and intrigued and say, yeah, uh, Jesus is interesting, he seems really interesting, and, and at some point I really should look into him. But now's not the right moment. One day. And it's easy for those who say they're followers of Jesus to do the same thing. One day I will really commit myself to reading the Bible. One day I will really commit myself, you know, my, my finances or, or, or my language, the, the things I say. I'll, I'll really commit myself to doing what the Lord wants. Now is not the time. But one day I will really commit myself to getting to home group. And, and, and now is just not the time. And one day I, I really will obey the Lord in this area or that area. It's a big challenge for us, isn't it? What is it time for? The Lord or you? Second point, the unfulfilled life. Haggai receives another message from the Lord. Verse 5. 
Now this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. Uh, interesting that God says it a couple of times to them he says give careful thought to your ways that that is saying uh, okay you you've decided to prioritize you at the moment but just think about that how's that going for you at the moment just assess that you're making all this time and using whatever you have on your houses how's it actually going verse six you've planted much but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are never warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This describes the unfulfilled life. See, it isn't that they don't have anything. It's not that they've got no food, or no drink, or no clothes. No, God is saying, no, you have them, but they're just not enough, are they? It's not fulfilling. It's a bit like if you've seen Pirates of the Caribbean, my mind went to um, uh, Captain Barbosa's crew in the first film, the good film. That cursed crew, Captain Barbosa says, for too long I've been parched of thirst and unable to quench it. Too long I've been starving to death and haven't died. I feel nothing, not the wind on my face, nor the spray of the sea. Well, I don't think God is saying they're a cursed crew like that, but maybe Captain Barbosa is expressing something of this. They, they eat, but they can't taste it. They can't be fulfilled. They drink, but they can't quench their thirst. And God's saying to the people of Israel, you're kind of a bit like that. You, you seem to eat, but you don't have enough. Now, again, we do have to be careful. We're not in exactly the Israelites' position. This was not written to us, but I think we can see some parallels here, can't we? If we give our lives a thought and think about our ways what do we see what do we see in the world around us the people around us we have so much and yet we are so unfulfilled aren't we yeah you see it in trivial ways uh, we have entertainment in the extreme but can never find something to watch incredible houses but never content. We want the looks, we want the clothes, we want the lifestyle of other people, but when we get them, they're not quite as fulfilling as we wanted, and then we want something else. We have incredible freedoms and choices that previous generations knew nothing about. Well, you can choose your career, you can choose where you live, you can even choose your sexuality and your gender, but are we fulfilled? Are we satisfied? Or are we lonely and anxious and depressed as a culture? And as for putting money into purses with holes in it, well, the money we earn and the money we've saved now doesn't get as much as it used to. And the temptation for us to, to say is, well, we need to do more of those things. That might have been their temptation. If you've got some food but not enough, well, then put more effort into your farming. Do more of those things. And we might think the same. Well, do more work, do more study, do more this, do more that, so that you can get the fulfillment. But God says to the Israelites, that's not the way forward. He says, verse 7, 
This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honoured, says the Lord. The Lord says, go and build that temple. Get the wood. And notice he says why to them. I thought this was very striking. Second half of verse 8, just reread that. Just relook at that. Why should they do it? He says, so that I may take pleasure in it and be honoured. Do it, God says, that I may enjoy it. Do it not to get the food and the drink and the clothes from me, but do it because you know it will bring me pleasure and honour. Do it because you love me. Put the Lord first, he says. Make his pleasure your pleasure. And that's true for us too. God says put him first, not self first. The key is self-giving love, that we would give ourselves to the Lord to do what he wants, what he loves. After all, that's what God does for us, isn't it? He is the definition of self-giving love. He gave himself when Jesus came to die for us, that we might come to know him. He gave himself for us for our greatest pleasure, our greatest joy, which would be to be able to come back into a relationship with him, completely washed clean, completely forgiven, so that we might know him. He gave himself for us, and he says to them, do that for me. Put me first. My pleasure first. My honour. It turns out the universe runs on self-giving love. Because this was the root of their problem. The reason why they weren't rebuilding the temple, why they weren't bothered about the temple, was actually at root because they weren't bothered about the Lord. And there's a huge difference between people obeying because they think they ought to and because they love the Lord. Obedience that is just a duty will come to an end. But obedience because of love of the Lord will keep going. And so when someone stops coming to church, say, we might well say to them, come on now, you ought, you ought to be coming along to church, oughtn't you? And that's right. But actually, the issue is a heart issue, isn't it? First of all, we need to refocus on the Lord and love the Lord and do it out of love for him and knowing his love for us. Because we love him and want to bring him honour. And notice he says, it is the Lord who brought the dissatisfaction, the unfulfilment. So verse 9, have a look at that. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Notice that. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains in a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock and on all the labour of your hands. 
Who brought that dissatisfaction? It was the Lord. It is as if the Lord is saying, you won't find satisfaction in other things until you've found satisfaction in me. You won't find fulfillment in other things until you've found fulfillment in me. So the Lord confronts them. What's it time for? And tells them about their unfulfilled life. And then what happens next is a wonderful transformation. So our third point, as you see on the screen, time to change. Now's the time to change. And what you have here is a great description of God's people, of the people repenting. That is turning around and saying, we got it wrong, we need to change. Let's see how it happens. There'll be a few bullet points that come up on the screen that we'll go through very quickly. Let's see what happens. Verse 12 is a key verse. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. Let's just pick out a few things from that verse. First thing to notice is that they heard the word of the Lord. They hear the word of the Lord. That happens when Haggai comes and says, look, here is the word of the Lord. This is what it is. And notice, will you, in the passage, uh, that the words of Haggai are the word of the Lord. Thank you. The words of Haggai are the words of the Lord. They are not two separate things, but they are the same thing. Haggai delivers them faithfully. And what we want Sunday by Sunday is to hear the word of the Lord. As the word is preached, if it is preached faithfully from the Bible, what we hear is the voice of the Lord. That's what we want, Sunday by Sunday. That's why preaching the Bible is at the centre of what we do in our services. Because we want to hear God's voice. And it is a great joy that the desire of this church family, that our desire is to hear the Bible faithfully preached. Even when it's uncomfortable, indeed especially when it's uncomfortable. When it brings us up short, we need to hear the voice of the Lord, don't we? And just a little note on this, Uh, sometimes people pray that we might hear the word of the Lord. Sometimes people will do that, it's not a bad thing to to pray. But that in a service, that we might hear the word of the Lord, uh, the voice of the Lord, as if some weeks we do hear it and some weeks we don't hear it. And actually, what's the difference? Well, sometimes we can say, well, it's sort of how it feels. Whether it feels like it's the word of the Lord, whether it kind of has that impact in my heart, whether it feels like God is speaking to me. But just a little correction on that, um, which is that, of course, every time we hear the word preached, if it is preached faithfully, it is God's voice speaking, whether we feel it or not. It can't be down to you and me subjectively to say, oh yes, it felt like the word of God today, therefore it was. No, it is if it's faithful to the passage. Because otherwise, there are some preachers who will have, where maybe they're they're just not as gifted. It doesn't hit home in quite the same way, and it can be hard work, can't it? And we don't go away from those ones thinking, well, we didn't hear the voice of the Lord today. 
No, if it's faithful from the Bible, then it was the voice of the Lord. We've just got to work harder at it. And can I encourage you, if, uh, parents, if you've got uh, teenagers in here listening to a sermon, and they will, you know, pathfinders are in here once a month, those who are older than pathfinders in here week by week. Encourage your young people to listen to the sermon and actually then ask afterwards, what did God say to us today from his word? And talk about it like that. So what do we hear God say in his word? I encourage you to do that. So they heard the word of the Lord. We hear the word of the Lord. Next, they obeyed the word of the Lord. They were convicted by it, saw they weren't doing what they should do, and so they changed. And again, we need to ask, are we as ready to be humble before the word of God? It's incredible, isn't it? They just heard from the Lord that you're not doing the right thing. And they went, okay, well, we need to change. Are we ready to do that? I know sometimes when you hear a preacher preaching and, and, and you, you, you're convicted by something, it's tempting to go to, to get a bit self-righteous, isn't it? I, I know that. That you hear something, you go, really? I think I'm all right on that, actually. I don't think you've got that right. Of course, the rest of the service points us to the fact that we should be humble before God's word. After all, we begin our services lifting our eyes to the Lord. We confess our sins to the Lord, which is saying we fail you in what we say, say think, and do. Uh, we come when we come to communion and say, actually, I come not on the basis of my righteousness, I'm not righteous, but on the basis of your mercy, God. So when we come to the sermon, it would be slightly out of sync if we then go, oh, well, no, this can't, I can't have got this wrong. <laughs> no, no, of course, as we come to God's word, we need to be humble before it and ready to obey it and be corrected by it. And we all do, including the preacher. It can be tempting, maybe, maybe having been here for a number of years, you know that I'm not perfect. But it can be tempting maybe to think that the preacher is saying they've got it all sorted. Of course I don't. Preachers don't have it all sorted. We need to be under the word of God. We need to be rebuked by it, corrected by it, changed by it. We all need to come to the word of the Lord ready humbly to obey it. So they heard the word of the Lord, they obeyed it, and they did so because, third bullet, they feared the Lord. That's what it says at the end of the verse, isn't it? The people feared the Lord. That is, they were in awe of God. And so in awe of him as to say, Lord, what you say goes. What you say happens. Do we have that awe of God individually? collectively as a church do we fear the lord such that we want to obey him in a denomination in which the majority of the leadership are leading the church to disobey the word of the lord we as a church need to say no we are going to fear the lord and seek to obey him and what does the Lord promise? That's the next bullet point. The Lord promises to be with them. Verse 13, then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you. It's one of the shortest messages that he gives. This is the message. God says to them, I'm with you. As you do this, as you obey, I'm with you. And we find out later on, we'll find out it is God's spirit who will be with them. The Holy Spirit with his people, with his Old Testament people, as they obey. And one of the commentaries I read said, actually notice that the New Testament doctrine of the Spirit is the same. God gives his Spirit to those who obey him. 
Let me show you a verse where, where that tells us that. In the book of Acts, chapter 5. It should be up next, I think. There we go. Acts 5, 31 and 32. God exalted him, that's Jesus, to his own right hand as prince and saviour that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Now that isn't saying that God only gives his spirit to those who are perfect. No, the context won't allow that, will it? Because Jesus' mission here is to bring Israel to repentance and forgiveness of sins. That means we've got to come before God recognising that we're wrong, that we need forgiveness. So we come to God recognising that, asking for forgiveness. But those who come with repentant hearts will then want to obey the Lord. Obedience comes with it. And God says, yeah, I give my spirit to those who obey. And part of that obedience is coming to the Lord for forgiveness. So God is with them. He says, yeah, as you obey me, as you go and build this temple, I'm with you. And lastly, uh, next one. Thank you, the Lord stirred them up. The Lord stirs them up. Just verses 13 to 15 Sorry, 14 to 15 in our passage. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. Notice who the Lord stirs up. Yes, it's those in leadership, but it's everyone. The Lord's prophets didn't always have this response. It didn't always go this well for them, but on this occasion it did. The prophet Haggai speaks, declares the word of the Lord, and everyone is stirred up. And what would that have looked like? That probably would have looked like them all going home, single people, married people, families, to say, right, let's go and get our shovels. Let's go and actually start building this temple. Let's get up into the mountains, get that wood, get it down. Let's actually do something here in obedience to the word of the Lord. What would that look like for us? It is as we go from hearing the word preached to say, right, what do we need to do? What do we need to change? Individually, it's saying now is the time to put the Lord first, to commit to him. As a church, it's a saying, we need to act in obedience to the Lord. May the Lord stir us up as a church stirred up to take action in obedience to the Lord, who calls us to go and make disciples of all nations and who promise to be with us always. May we be stirred up in obedience to him. What is it time for? It's time for the Lord to put him first and love him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you moved in your people. You stirred them up to be obedient to you. Father, would you work in our hearts that we would hear your word, obey it, fear you. And Father, we thank you for your promise to be with us as we do so. And we pray you would stir us up individually as a church family and the churches in this nation Father, stir us up to act in obedience and trust in you. Amen.